Hello and welcome back to the weekly show. You have noticed I haven't said PLT weekly show. That's because we've got some very exciting news that will drop tomorrow. Uh, just a little bit of a clue, a potential rebranding. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. We have got some big, big things coming with this podcast and this channel. If it looks like I'm crying, it's not because I'm still upset about Man United. It's because I've got really bad hay fever. So if you hear a bit of sniveling and my eyes are watering, don't worry, I'm still not thinking about uh, Zaha breaking Manchester United's hearts on the weekend. So today, obviously, we're going to be reviewing the weekly fixtures. I'm joined by two fantastic guests, my two usual co-hosts, the two that make up the trio with myself. It is Hass, my brother, and the producer. How are you doing today, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, looking forward to uh, talking about the unpredictable games that we had uh, last week. But yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm doing well, doing well. You look well, mate. You got a day off work, and uh, yeah, I think Funny. it's uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's chilled, nice weather outside. And I'm joined by my good friend Kieran as well. He has become a regular fixture on this channel. He is a massive contributor and a good friend of mine as well. Kieran, welcome back, mate. Thank you. I'm slowly recovering from the weekend. Just just about getting there. Need that game tonight to kind of get overcome what happened on Saturday. Oh, completely, mate. And we've got, uh, remember, guys, we've got Red Devils Talks. That will be now going live every single Wednesday, usually at 7.30. But if there's Champions League games, we'll be going live straight after the game. And that is the usual cast of myself, Kieran, Paulie, Mark and Joe. And yeah, that's that's the big landmark show really at the moment. So uh, make sure you keep an eye out for that when we post out. We want some more questions from you listeners. But let's just go straight into it. And look, it was a tough week for United fans. Myself and Kieran, uh, I know Kieran was very, very angry in the group chat. Kieran is normally quite a chilled out guy. He's a patient guy, but he lost his rag. And, you know, the worst thing was it was his birthday as well. Him and Paulie, both. I mean, what are the chances of that? So let's just go straight into it. Yeah. And look, United had an absolute shocker. And they succumbed to an awful, awful defeat. And uh, the question I want to ask, and we'll start with you, Kieran, because obviously you're a United fan, but... A lot of people are voicing the anger, and rightly so. There's, at United, it's not a very happy place. It's a very split fan base, a very toxic fan base. You're looking around and you see fans saying, Oli out, there's the Glazers out movement, the out, Matt Judge out. There's just so much unhappiness, so much divide, um, so much unhappiness and so much of a divide. And what you're seeing as well is you're seeing that people aren't pushing and we're not mobilizing the supporters into one movement. I think there's a general consensus that the Glazers are bad, but you're seeing pockets, or should I say large quarters? I wouldn't say pockets because we saw a lot of Oli outers. And look, my view on it is that anyone that thinks that sacking the manager now is the solution is absolutely deluded because you look at the way that United have operated for the past seven years. And when they've started with a with a manager, you look at the LVG and Mourinho, two years into the project, they sacked them. And where's that continuity? You lose out on that continuity. And what we've seen is United don't have a good history of appointing managers. Or should I say Ed Woodward doesn't? You jump from David Moyes' defensive style, used to playing with a team that likes to sit back. Asking him to come to United to play attacking style doesn't work. Then LVG is possession-based. Again, you buy the players for that, but then you don't back them, you pull the plug. And then you've got Jose Mourinho again. So successful what he does. He's a counter-attacking, low block. He's, he's a fantastic manager. But again, he gets second, you don't back him. And now you've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's trying to return more to the United style of play. You know, the fast wingers, the the attacking, creativity, um, excitement. And you can't always say that's been the case, but definitely there's been more of a cultural reset which is needed within the club. 
you just ask Haas and you look at Arsenal, they needed a cultural reset. But there is a lot of questions that need to be asked towards Solskjaer, I think, in terms of this defeat, because there's a question of, was this a tactical problem on the weekend? Because United were absolutely shocking. And for those that are saying, well, they didn't have a pre-season or they're underprepared, which does make a difference. I would say that is true. But you looked at Manchester City last night, whether you agree with it or not, and people will point out that, you know, City only had six players away for pre-season. But that's not the point. They slotted right in because they knew the system and the style. So what I want to ask you, Kieran, is, is it a tactical problem or were United unprepared? I just want to say one quick thing before I let you answer. Laurie Whitwell from The Athletic wrote a fantastic article this morning. He said, Oliver and Solskjaer wants his defenders to be able to shut down the attacks 1v1. But Victor Lindelof has a massive weakness here. And I think that's a massive point that when United want to play so far forward on the front foot, every single defender in that back four needs to be a very good defender, in my opinion. And when you take out wan the best 1v1, and you looked at that back line, none of them, and I'm just, even Maguire, I just don't think they're good enough 1v1 to play that sort of style. And 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 Solskjaer knew that. He knows what his defenders are about. So is he to blame for that? Um, I think there's blame to go around. There's obviously the blame that people have been coming up with to Edward Word, Matt George, because they haven't brought in the quality. And look, even though we say that the starting 11 was great last year, the players know the ambition of the club. When you see other teams around you strengthening and your club not really doing that much, it does send that message to the players that are we even competing to try and improve on last season? You heard it, you heard it before with the likes of Wayne Rooney used to come out and say, um, and that kind of wanted to leave the club at certain times because they weren't being competitive enough. Um, and you've seen even to a certain extent after the game, Luke Shaw coming out and saying something similar that it's that they need, they do need to strengthen. So you've your first point there. The second one is then for those that are looking for kind of Ali to be sacked. Look, you never, if you sack a manager because of one game, you're not doing the correct, your vision's not there anyway. And if you're a club that's willing to do that, well then you have the wrong person in, in charge anyway. I think the problem the problem for me lies between that and also the players that were on the pitch they lacked quality well we well we can say there was the likes of Rashford there was Martial Pogba Bruno who are who all played excellently towards the end of last season the defense looked like they've taken an even further step back it's uh, like I understand that Aaron Wan-Bissaka wasn't there. He was probably our best defender if you're looking at it from a defensive point of view. But I don't know how many times we have to keep going through the same mistakes year after year after year and not try and fix it. We've seen it with... Look, Maguire is a, is a decent defender. Look, it's not his fault he was 80 million, but the problem is he doesn't have that partner beside him. And it's the reason why... I hate seeing it when Lindelof is there, especially against a team that can kind of counterattack the way Crystal Palace does. Because everyone knew before the game, Zaha was going to try and go off onto Lindelof because one, he can beat him for pace, and two, he can beat him for strength. You need someone that can come in and kind of deal with that, even if it was Eric Bailly for that game. Because you're not going to have Crystal Palace getting 15, 16 shots on target where Bailly's awareness might kind of come into question you needed him in there for his athleticism and his physicality 
Where I do kind of believe that people can blame Solskjaer is that at the end of the day, if a team's not prepared for the first game of the season, that's on the manager and the coaching staff. They chose not to bring all the players back until a few days before the game started. They had the extra week. They could have had players coming back. To be fair, and there's one thing that I spoke about yesterday was that they allowed all these players to go out on holiday. Now, that's that's perfectly fine in a normal season because the players deserve it. It's a long season. But in a year where the vast majority of the public don't get didn't get to go on a holiday, why do these players need to? They should be they should know that they have the season starting in a few weeks. They should have had time to stay at home, recuperate, do what they did even during the lockdown, because that seemed to work when they came back. So the fact that they've come back and they were that poor means something went wrong in kind of the few weeks since the season. Because you look at the two games, it's not it wasn't a hugely different team than the one that played against Sevilla. But they played so so much different. They had they didn't create anything of substance really. The goal kind of came from nothing. And really, for most United fans, I don't think it's the fact that we lost, it's the way we lost the game. And that needs to improve. And if it doesn't, you will see more pressure being put on Solskjaer because at the end of the day, regardless of if signings come in, if United continue to play like that, he's going to come under some serious pressure. Fantastic answer, mate. Look, Hass, I'm going to ask you, look, you're an outsider, you're an Arsenal fan. So for you, you might have a less biased opinion. You can probably see things a bit more clearly. I think Kieran's given the, the best answer I've heard since you know obviously the defeat there's too many people that are going absolutely crazy but kieran's right that manner of defeat is absolutely unacceptable but also there was enough quality out there to win and kieran's right i actually said in a group chat yesterday i said that and uh, with kieran paulie and the other boys and i said i don't remember us creating a clear-cut chance at all and he and paulie pulled out those figures and it actually was like four or five long shots six of them got blocked and then obviously the van der Beek one and that was all Van der Beek, by the way. He's made that a trademark, that low across the keeper finish, a fantastic finish. But what I will say to you is when two things. You look at that squad out there, that can easily beat Palace. You don't need new additions to beat Palace. That's, that's the first thing. And do you agree with that? The second thing I'm going to say is when you look at that defence, statistically the third best, 36 conceded, but... Out of those 36 goals, 11 of those goals conceded were individual mistakes. Which suggests to me that it's not a coaching thing. But then when I spoke to other people, they say well, it is a coaching thing because you actually watched how narrow the defence came at times. We saw that. And how they weren't essentially they weren't essentially immunization. You're obviously seeing Arsenal's change with Arteta. When you watch United, do you think look at look at a side who individually they're not good enough, or are you looking at a side that collectively the coaching's not good enough? I think it depends on the system. I think you look at you know if I use the Arsenal example, we are under Unai Emery, and this is something which Chris uh, Davison said in the podcast that uh, he did yesterday talking about Arsenal is uh, the system under Unai Emery was not working. You could see that there were huge defensive frailties, and I think. That has to do a lot with the way that the manager sets up his players. I think you've got to have two defenders which, you know, complement each other. And I think that's something which um, United have got very wrong. I think playing a Lindelof and Maguire 
defense is always trouble because of the lack of pace which is there i think i don't necessarily blame ollie's tactics in that situation because harry Maguire is 80 million pounds he's he well record fee for the most expensive defender in the in the world for someone of his caliber you do expect him to be able to create defensive blocks and i think that's something which it may be down to low confidence. It may be down to just the element of trust between the two centre backs, but it obviously shows that 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 partnership is not working. And you know, obviously Lindelof, I actually do rate him as a defender. I actually do think he's very good, but I think he has massive weaknesses in his game, which is very important in the Premier League. You're playing against players who who are hugely physical. I mean, this is something which Palace said. Andros Townsend said that coming into the game. Palace weren't scared of United. They knew that they had to come in with physicality and and extreme pressure, and that's what happened. Look, United, you know, like Kieran was saying, I think the first game you do not expect them to lose in the manner which they did against Palace. I didn't actually get to watch the match because I was at work. I did watch the highlights after, and you know, Hamza and I were having a discussion after um, the match was played that evening, and it looked like every single time United lost the pool. Uh, the defence were always under threat. They, they were consistently backtracking rather than actually putting pressure on the on the uh, forwards like Zaha, who, if you give Zaha space, he's always going to score. The guy is a, is a, is a world-class player. You look at the reactions that happened on Twitter after it, I think people are very reactionary. I think they 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 speak too quickly when, when they should. These things take time. United... It's shown that United board are not going to spend the money on the players they need in in many seasons. You look at the one with Mourinho when they finished second. The perfect time to actually invest in a defender, for example, would have been the time they finished second. They could have Mourinho could have actually won the league if he had got what he wanted, but he didn't. It's all about the timing when you when you bring in the players, and that's something which Edward Wood and the Glaciers have not done. United are in a very diff- difficult position at the moment. I I think this is a hurdle which they will jump over. I don't. I think people are, are too quick to judge saying that United won't be in the top four of the season. I think it is the start of the season. It's going to be a very long season. You've got to look at the injuries potentially coming in. It's going to be a tight, tight schedule. But I think to lose in that manner to a team where you should be really winning at home 2 or 3 nil is unacceptable. I can understand United fans are upset, but these things happen. And putting the pressure consistently on Oli, I think people need to realise that this is not only a manager issue. This is, uh, uh, you know, at the top. And that's something which has happened with Arsenal, where it was always at the top. There were issues that filtered from top to bottom of attitude, mentality. You know, all, all, I think, uh, um, uh, who is it? Rob Blanchard was saying that Aaron Wambasaka came uh, late from his holiday. He was not fined or anything. Stuff like that. It's that attitude coming into into the start of a new season. I know, I know we've had a short break. But you've got to come in with that fighting spirit you had towards the end of the season. And United finished off extremely well. You'd think that they would carry that on um, into into the start of, of the 2021 season. But obviously, it's not the case. I think people need to calm down as a United fan. Um, I mean, Hayden, we obviously talk a lot about this. And I actually feel sorry for you guys because this is exactly what Arsenal fans have been feeling for so many years. We uh, The two clubs are in a very similar position. And it upsets me because... You're not going to get the Arsenal and United rivalry until this is sorted out between the two clubs. And for United to go down in the way that they have is actually abysmal. It's shocking. I, I you know, I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to banter a United fan if they're down. 
these things happen. I know what it feels like to be a, an Arsenal fan where ten years of frustration has happened. So, you know, I think you gotta you gotta look at the situation. You gotta look at as it being just one game. Once you get all your players in, I think you guys will be back up and running. But it is it is quite worrying if you don't get any signings uh, towards the end of the transfer window. Yeah, well said, Hass. Look, Kieran, that's a big low, isn't it, when Arsenal fans are feeling sorry for us? I mean, that's that's the situation. I don't think it's as bad as people are saying, and I've been saying that consistently. I got a lot of uh, rubbish on Twitter for saying, can we just reserve judgment till after the game when we looked at the team selection? We all knew Dan James shouldn't have started. We all know that we didn't want Fosu Mensah to play. Fosu Mensah shouldn't be anywhere near Man United's team. It's such a shame because when he was playing defensive midfielder in the, in the academy, he was the one I was so excited for. I was like, right, this guy's going to take over from Matic. And it just hasn't worked out. It just shows two bad loan spells and being played out of position can affect you. Uh, it's not like it's not there was a lack of effort from him. He's just not good enough. Well, last point I'll make on this, Kieran, before we move on to a few of the other topics. I want to get your view, but we know, and I tweeted out, you saw this, that United cannot play Lindelof and Maguire again. They just cannot. They make each other look worse. I don't think they're as bad as what they show. Look, Maguire is not worth 80 million. I didn't want him. I wanted Koulibaly. If you're going to spend 80 million, you would have got Koulibaly, who was a, a much better defender, quicker, better possible. He's just a better player. But you know, they've got Maguire now, and he's not as bad as what he's showing. And that's the thing. But he's got serious flaws to his game. He just can't turn. As Simon Jordan says yes, he turns like an ocean liner. He's, it's such a big problem. Now, United have, for me, they still have three options. And Laurie Whitwell said that Solskjaer doesn't trust his backups. Well, you're going to need to make a change now, Oli. This is your job on the line if you don't make a change. He has to make a change in the heart of the defence. It shows how important Matic is as well, that when Matic doesn't play, the, the way they're exposed. That's another issue. You might decide, United might decide they need a Thomas Party in there or someone who's got energy because that will actually unlock... Pogba further forward as an eight, and it will also cover that defense because that's what they need. A Kante would be perfect. It's what United need. But let's say, okay, that United don't sign a centre back, which it looks unlikely. David Ornstein said that. I just want your quick view on this. But Oli has two options. Tactically, then he should have dropped a bit, shouldn't he? He should have dropped the high line, it was so high. If they're both slow, drop them back a bit against Palace. You know what Palace were going to do. They're going to be direct, quick on the counter. The other thing is make a change, man. Make a change, Oli. Mengi, I know you're a big fan of Mengi, Tu and Zabi and Bai all have the attributes that on paper that will complement Maguire or Lindelof. Lindelof would look better as well with a quicker, you know, with a quicker guy. But surely now Oli has to look at it and think, I cannot play this again. Just put Mengi in there or someone of that ilk and let him settle in and give him a chance. Because if you don't trust the backups, but then your top two are so bad as well together then United have a torrid season, aren't they? Yeah, look, I think it does go with that partnership between the two centre-backs. I think if if we were playing Lindelof, you probably need to choose between Bailly and Axel Tuanzebi because they both are, I would say, they're physically dominant, but also they have that bit of experience because I don't think Lindelof is kind of a leader in a defence. Maguire, you can tell even from what Mangi's been saying, he's been in Mangi's ear the whole time he's been up with the first team. They've kind of got a pretty good relationship from the last couple of weeks training. So per personally, if I saw Mangi come in, I'd like to see him play with Maguire because it, it, it kind of might help him in terms of being able to read the game a little bit more because he needs experience to do that and he just hasn't been given it yet. 
I've I've been saying that if we get through, let's just say we get through in the cup, I want to see a defensive partnership of Mengi and Tu and Zebi because, like I said, they the traits that they have kind of balance well with each other. Even if you want to play Bai in one of those, because Bai's biggest problem has been that he's injured, but he's not injured anymore. So play him. He's he's physically and in terms of his athleticism, he's a better defender than Victor Lindelof. And for me, that you just have to go back to that first season he had at Old Trafford. He was one of the better defenders that we had. And we thought he was going to be one of the best defenders in the league. He was that good, wasn't he? Yeah. It's just the injuries, really. Yeah, he was excellent. It's just the injuries. Like personally, for me, is if you if you can get a bit of luck with Tu and Zebi and Bai in terms of their injuries, you probably can get by with the season if you have your defensive um, center backs as. Maguire, Lindelof, Bai, Tuanzebi, and Mengi. That's that's fine, but you, you have to get rid of the others. You have to get rid of Smalling. You have to get rid of Jones. You have to get rid of Rojo because none of them should even be taking the spot on the bench because then you're stopping chances for some of the other players. Again, a defensive partnership isn't just about individuals. I've seen excellent centre-back partnerships where you have individual players that are brilliant, but when they play together, they don't suit each other's style. It's the reason why Vidic and Ferdinand were so good is that their styles weren't the same. They also were, honestly, the reason why they were so good is either one of them could have been a captain of the team. And that's what you need at your centre-back because they're the ones that really need to kind of organise both the midfield and kind of what's going in defence as well. So I think it's it's one thing he needs to work on and there's no better time to give either... I don't know how fit Axel is at the moment because I know he's back training, but I don't think he's been involved in kind of the team training. He's been doing a lot of individual work. But if he's not back fit, I think it's a no-brainer. You have to be able to start by your Mengi tonight against Luton. Yeah, mate. Spot on. And last thing I'm going to say on this, Lindelof's a good footballer. He's got a good... He's the best passer out of all our defenders. He reads the game well. Where he got exposed, as has said, he doesn't. He's not a bad player, but he's getting exposed. The amount of times he got physically outdone by Zaha, the amount of times he got, you know, he got outjumped as well under the high ball, and these are serious problems. Now, a lot of people have been saying you just have to watch Lindelof in, in Portugal to realize how good he was. He tore it up. He used to carry the ball into midfield. He also played right back at times. I wouldn't play him there, but he mm-hmm. has played defensive midfield. I'm just thinking. Look. You know, we shouldn't do square pegs round hole. We've had that for years at United. But I'm thinking that if you do decide you want someone to play defensive midfield who can read the game well, who can pass, Lindelof is someone that could understudy for Matic. I'm just looking at... If he, even wa- if he even wanted, you could have Axel go in there. He's played yeah. that position before. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're looking at, for example, McTominay. We'll talk about this on Red Devils Talk. McTominay... He doesn't do it for me. Fred obviously can play there. I think Fred will be good there. But just it's just an option. But anyway, guys, let's move on to the next segment we've spoken for United. I feel better after that. To be honest, I've done about four podcasts since the loss. Uh, if United loses again tomorrow, then uh, there's serious problems. But I think we'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so Hass, I'm going to start with you. Oh, Merseyside is rocking at the moment, isn't it? I know it's two games into the season. We need to have a little bit of perspective. And that's why I would say the team's also losing one or two games, perspective, perspective, perspective. But both Everton and Liverpool, very impressive victories again, especially Everton. You're looking at them and Calvert-Lewin smashed it. We'll obviously talk winners and losers later. I'm sure someone in this uh, stream has got them. But um, 
what I will say is that Everton just look a completely different outfit, don't they? James Rodriguez with a goal. I absolutely loved it. I loved him in the World Cup. I loved him when he was at Real. I always thought he got a bit of a hard run, a hard done by, sorry. He was great at Bayern Munich, didn't manage to secure a move there. He's come to the Premier League with a manager that genuinely trusts him. It's funny, isn't it? A manager putting that arm around you and having faith in you can change a player. He's that sort of player. He's a confidence player. Uh, and then you look at Liverpool as well. I think that they completely dominated Chelsea. I was not impressed with Chelsea, if I'm being honest with you. I thought they were... You spend that much money and you play like that. That, that suggests to me that, you know, tactically Frank needs to sort out or figure out what he's going to do with those players because Werner looked non-existent. Havertz through another shocker. Look, it's going to take time with Havertz. I still think he'll come good, but it was not positive. But when Liverpool... The goal for Mane's first on the header was just absolute. The way they constructed that was fantastic. They just look so strong, and they they're not even anywhere near top gear yet. They, they're cruising through games. Then they could bring Thiago on to go and just close out a game. Seventy-five passes, more than the whole of the Chelsea team in the second half. He played about half an hour. They've just got some scary depth now. So, um, what did you make of both teams? And uh, do you expect Merseyside in general to be strong this season? Uh, I think this will probably be the first year where the Merseyside side is actually entertaining. I genuinely think that. I think the Everton side, look, with Everton, I think they've always had quite a solid defence. They have had, always had a solid defence. I think their their attack has always been a bit suspect, but they, they've actually improved this season, obviously, with Richarlison, who, who had, who's obviously back to uh, the top of his game. I think one issue where they struggled was their midfield. I think they were never able to control games within the midfield because they were usually pretty weak. Now that they've got Decore, Alan and Hammers, you've got that attacking threat in Hammers, who has always been solid. And he was actually brilliant for Ancelotti while Ancelotti was at uh, Real Madrid. I'm pretty sure he played under him. Um, uh, he was very, very good there. Uh, you've got Alan, who obviously didn't have the best season at Napoli um, last season, but he's come in and he's done absolute bits there. And then you've got Decore, who's just consistently a, a brilliant box-to-box midfielder. It's amazing how you see a team transformed with just three players that have come in. I think the issue that Everton had always had is that linkage between the strikers and the midfield. There was never that creativity. And, you know, to see Calvert-Lewin score a hat-trick uh, in, a, in a Premier League game, no one would have thought that would happen, especially in the fantasy football. Um, congratulations to anyone who had put him in. But it is, it's actually quite a nice thing to see it gelling. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite, <laughs> quite a nice uh, thing to see um, Everton gelling because, you know, it's always been this stigma where, you look at Merseyside, it's always been a one-sided um, city. Worst you... derby in the whole of derbies, of all derbies yeah. ever been a derby in the history of derbies, Everton yeah. versus yeah. Liverpool. Yeah, I remember watching Premier League years and they would hype up the game so much through you'd see all these dirty tackles and stuff, but it would be a nil-nil by the end of it. So I, I think it's Or nice Liverpool 8-0. Because... So yeah. it's either that. It's one of the two. This is, I, I like the Everton team. I think Ancelotti's done a really good job there. Again, when you look at man management, I think he's a very, very good manager. He's he is the perfect guy for that club. I think he it's a sort of understated project. Um, he's come in and he's actually changed the team from even in last season they were at the top of their game. Towards the end of the season, they were playing very well under him. He all they needed was that couple of reinforcements to really bolster their midfield. And look what's happened. You know, Decore, come on, he's such an underrated player. Um, he's that that he's pretty much effectively what United would need, where they need that that midfielder who is able to take the pressure off the defence 
and actually be able to distribute the ball left and right, whoever it is, to the creative players. And and Ancelotti's got to bang on with the people with the personnel he's brought in. Uh, Liverpool, you can't count out Liverpool whenever they're playing the top teams. They're they're just such a good team, and and they're it's the same when when you watch City, both teams they whenever they pass a ball around, it's as if they have like in rugby where you have moves that you do within a match. It's as if they have a, a pre predicted move that they're going to do. Um, in order to actually score a goal. And you see that with Mane's goal. That header was absolutely brilliant out of this world. What a player. Um, but then again, you look at you can look at Liverpool, you can never count them out of a match uh, against, like I said, the top six teams. I think you look at Chelsea. I mean, I have no idea what Christensen was doing. And this is not rugby we're playing. We're playing football. Um, it, you, you know, as a defender, I've never rated him. I think their defence, it shows. Even if you bring Thiago Silva in, even if you bring Ben Chilwell in, they're still going to have defensive frailties. And I think that's something which Frank lacks. I think he lacks maybe, it may be the backroom staff where he lacks a defensive-minded coach who is able to actually structure uh, structure that line. You know, you look at uh, their personnel, they've got Zuma, Rudiger, Thiago Silva and Christensen. I wouldn't really rate any of them potentially in the top, uh, top 10 at the moment in, in the Premier League, potentially. Maybe maybe Zuma, maybe Thiago Silva, uh, Silva if he plays. When you're playing a team like Liverpool, your your defence has to be the most important priority. And then you can look to potentially break them on the attack because that's where they're weak with their fullbacks with Robertson and, and Trent. I think you look at their midfield, you know, Thiago coming in in the 45th minute, he's just unbelievable. I had a, I didn't have an argument, but I had a conversation with one one United fan, actually, on the Premier League trip. Yeah, about, it's interesting. About, yeah. Saying that Thiago is one of the most underrated, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, buys this summer and he's going to be absolutely brilliant. And the amazing thing is some United fans say, oh, he's he's uh, on decline just because he isn't going to United. The guy is not on decline. He's just won a Champions League in a in a in a team at 29 years old. And I think that might have been Paul Lee's uh, burner account, you know, his, yeah, uh, yeah, his, uh, his second account. Uh, <laughs> and, it, it, you know, the guy was uh, broke the record for the most passes in 45 minutes. He, he passed more balls than, than the whole of the Chelsea team. They have now got that depth bringing in Jota as well. They've got that depth to actually really challenge for the title again. And I think that's something which a lot of fans criticise Liverpool for was their squad depth. Now that they've got that, they can replace a Henderson for a Thiago. Or they could they, they have the ability to to um you know switch between the um the midfield. So you know both those teams those teams are brilliant. I think in reality if I look at Everton I mean, I would love for them to be in, uh, up around the top six. I w- would really love them because I love Ancelotti. I think their team is brilliant. I love Hamez. Um And Liverpool, look, they're still going to be up there. Uh, I think it'll be very difficult for a lot of the top six teams to really compete with them. The only team that I can think of is is uh, City and then <laughs> Arsenal, maybe. We'll see. Um, but, you know, I can't fault those two teams. They played brilliantly and they, uh, they showed Chelsea. I'm, I'm kind of, in a way, happy. Liverpool showed Chelsea where they should be. And and put the fans into perspective of of what world class is, and then what you know upcoming potential class could be. Well said, has well said, Kieran. I'm going to pick on a few things that has said because I want you to expand on them rather than you know just going to general detail about them. So I think Has did a very good job in breaking both sides down. So well done, Has. What I will say, the first point I want to pick on is I spoke to someone um recently probably a couple of days ago i recorded a podcast with him but it didn't record properly so i'm going to ask you this question but he made a very interesting comment he said when sir alex left in 2013 the man they should have got was carlo ancelotti and i agree with that 100 there was two managers actually well four actually carlo ancelotti pep Guardiola, jürgen klopp 
or Jose Mourinho, <clears throat> the four best managers, or at least one of the upcoming ones in Jurgen Klopp. Anyone, any man and their dog could have seen that Jurgen Klopp was going to take a team to, especially whoever he took over in the Premier League, to a title. When he came in that day, I remember Hash, remember four or five years ago now? It was five yeah. years ago, probably now. Yeah. I yeah. said to you, Klopp going to Liverpool, he will win the league at least once in his time. I just knew it. And look at what he's done. Fantastic manager. Any club would be lucky to have him. So that's the first point about Ancelotti. The second point he said about Ancelotti is you can see what a world-class manager does or what a world-class manager can do. Now, he can come into a team like Everton. They were all right last year, although when he came in, he did go on that massive long run. I know they had a, a bad end to the season, but the point is that you saw his impact. The question was always, if they got the right players in, what would happen? There's none of this bedding in period for his new players. He's brought three very good players and they've just slotted straight in. Now, obviously, players do need time to settle, but that suggests to me that Ancelotti is a very, very good manager still. Okay, he's older, and some people don't think is. So the second point this person made, I know Hass knows who this is. Um, I will Obviously, we'll release this podcast again. We're going to re-record with him. But he said if Oli was to go tomorrow, he would probably choose Ancelotti over Pochettino. Now, that's interesting. Now, I want you to touch on that as well. And then the third thing I want to talk to you about was that you look at Liverpool and we actually saw Fabinho play centre-back, which was quite interesting. When he was at Monaco, he played right-back. Fantastic right-back. And he did play in the defensive midfield. And United were heavily linked to him. In the end, we got Matic. And Matic is a fantastic player. But when you look at the everything considered, all things taken into account, the age profile is a big thing. Fabinho is a phenomenal player. But now him dropping into centre-back means they can go and play Van Dijk, Fabinho, Thiago. All three are excellent passes of the ball. That brings a completely different dynamism and style to Liverpool's play. They can now control the game even better now. That's scary, isn't it? Yeah, look, it it is because I always thought that Fabinho was going to come in and possibly play centre-back with, with Van Dijk when they brought him in because I never really thought he was the best or he wasn't utilised that well with Monaco when he was on the right. But anytime you saw him kind of more centrally, you saw his quality and I was surprised in the first kind of season or two at Liverpool, he he wasn't a little bit better in terms of his quality in the Premier League, but you started to see that kind of shift kind of the last six months or so. I think he's played quite well. He played well to start the season. He's been good anyway. And it was one that as a United fan, I did want to bring in because I thought at that time it was a needed position and, while I liked Matic, I thought that how long are you going to get out of him? And we're kind of seeing that now that he's slowly, he's not able to play the required games. If you had someone like Fabinho, you wouldn't have to worry. You'd have someone slotted in there week in, week out. Um, so that was one thing that was um, that always went through my ma- mind with him. Look, <laughs> Liverpool are, regardless of if they got Thiago, I think they're class above everybody else right now they've just signed Jota they're apparently from I think I was reading reports last night that they had agreed some fee with Watford as well for Ismail Assar and if that's true to have Sar and Jota as your two backups for Salah Mane which makes sense why they're doing it because they're going to lose Salah Mane in January or February when the African Cup of Nations starts so having two other players that can come in fill in and still win you games is important but it, as, as a fan of any of the other rival clubs, you've got to get worried because they're slowly building a squad that's 
just as good as kind of their starting 11 which is something that before we always said with Liverpool if they lost uh, Salah, Amane, Van Dijk. And I don't mean for like two or three weeks. I mean for like four months where you have the likes of before with City when Aguero has gone out or De Bruyne has gone out. Or even back to when United were kind of at the top of their game when you saw the likes of Ronaldo get injured. Or if you got Rooney injured for a while, you saw a drop-off. We may not see that with Liverpool if they're able to get that one done as well. If we look at Everton in terms of the managers, I was the same with you when Alex Ferguson left. I thought it was a no-brainer. I thought it was probably going to be between Ancelotti, Klopp, and Mourinho. Those were the ones. And I looked at it because all three had a really good relationship with Alex Ferguson. And I was really surprised. And I was was disappointed when it was David Moyes. I was devastated. Yeah, I was devastated. I knew you. I have to remember this. I know House was a little baby. How old were you in 2012? House, you were when he signed. You were like what 14? I remember. I was like, no. Why have United done this? And then, and then I tried to trick myself for a few days. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe he can be like Sir Alex. He's Scottish. Oh my god. No, I, I remember everything about that period of time. It was. The, the day that it was announced that Alex Ferguson was retiring was like I was at a funeral. It was it was like <laughs> I was it, it was it was crazy because from when I from when I started watching football, which I must have been like four when I went yeah. to my first game, all I knew was Alex Ferguson. So now that he was gone, I was like, okay, this is going to be strange, and uh, I was trying to convince myself that well, we still have a good team, blah blah blah. But that got ruined very, very quickly. And when you see the likes of Ancelotti, I think a lot of people dismissed him for a lot of key jobs because he didn't have the best time at Chelsea. But I think the well, quality is the thing there. is, Kieran, Chelsea, I mean, he, he they won the league in such a attacking fashion. Yeah, they, they did. I guess it's more of the fact that the way he went out was very similar. Now, it's hard to judge with Chelsea because they go through managers every two or so years anyway. And then I know from a lot of Madrid fans didn't like him when he went over there. They always were clamoring for Mourinho. So I think that kind of dented kind of a lot of the interest in Ancelotti for a while because I didn't understand why his next move was Everton. It was one that completely it kind of threw me back a little bit because you'd see Everton as like the most that they would get to be like Europa League and kind of get far in there. So now for him to be there and the thing that's worked out for Everton is he has all these contacts. Like the reason why James Rodriguez moved there, the reason why Alan moved there is because they've played for him before. And they, Jean-Paul as well. Yeah, they, tr- they trust him. They know, And the reason why it was so easy for them to slot in is they already know his system. Yes, they probably don't. They don't know the players that are around them because it takes time. But when you know a manager system, it's very easy to go in and out. It's the same with Klopp at Liverpool. It's the reason why you see players come straight in is if they understand the system, you put them in. They know what they're supposed to do, even if it's a different player that they're playing against. That's why you, when you see kind of some of the backup players come in for Liverpool, that they don't really you don't see a, a big drop off because they are all playing the same system. They understand it. It doesn't matter who they're actually playing with. Now, when you're looking at the kind of defensive part of the game, that's a little bit different. Like you'd see a big difference if you didn't have the likes of Van Dijk at Liverpool. But again, 
it, it kind of goes that, that I think the two clubs that in Liverpool right now should be very very happy with what's going on at their clubs while there's a lot of other clubs that just aren't seeing the consistency and unless there's improvements to other teams like you see with United even with Chelsea because I think they played terribly the last couple of weeks um, again it's just going to be that two horse race again with Man City and Liverpool and it's hard to to knock Liverpool with how they've started the league they kind of just left off where or they've started where they left off from last year can i just say something Ada? yeah go on um I, I think also if you look at everton if you look at you know even even liverpool i think the most important thing is when you bring a manager like ancelotti or klopp in a lot of the signings that they bring in are system players they are and i think something which united probably have got wrong and in a way arsenal have got wrong in the past has been they've tried to get these superstar players who won't necessarily fit the system. You've then got a replacement of a manager and they're, they're completely out of favour. If you've got someone like Ancelotti who brings in experience altogether, the guy's won so many trophies, he is automatically going to get the players who have fitted his system at past clubs. If, you've got, if you're judging it based on Oli, Oli hasn't, hasn't managed any other club other than Cardiff in, in the Premier League. You can't base his, his uh, system off... Um, anything because he hasn't played with sp- uh, top top players. If you have some, that's why I think Ancelotti was brilliant for Everton. Is because he can he he has the ability to filter in these players who may not be brilliant, but have fitted the system he has played in the past. He can just bring them right in and they will play the way he wants to play. I think that's something which a lot of the top clubs, you know, mainly Arsenal and Chelsea, uh, Arsenal and United have really struggled with is buying those system players who may not be top quality but can really bolster a team. Yeah, and that's where the whole um, that planning for direct football thing slots in. I mean, Kieran have been bashing that drum for for God knows how long. Is that United, and that's what you're seeing now with Oli. Is that whether he's a great manager or not, I think it's obvious to say that you can't say he is because his CV doesn't suggest it. You look at that CV; it's very uninspiring. But what he has done well is he's bought players that he feels will fit fit the system that that will but the problem is is that if united aren't going to go for sancho it's just quickly touching this so we've got to move on guys we've got less than 20 minutes left if united aren't going to buy sancho i was talking to someone the other day he said well united need to look at the data analytics which they don't do well enough compared to liverpool and other clubs like city and leicester leicester's the next topic but what they do is if you look at someone who is like for like on the data that sanchez uh, sorry sancho oh god sanchez definitely not sanchez that <laughs> sancho does um that he does obviously have or he gives the next player that's very similar is calvin stings from uh is he from part final or the psv one of the two um so united aren't doing that and that's the point so when you think about we're linked to gareth bale they're nowhere near similar players at all so ollie should know or a manager like he's a system player should know exactly if you're not going to buy let's say james rodriguez the next player should be literally like for like on that list i think that's where united and what they're not doing look at liverpool and that's what they've done right so they so apparently Klopp wanted this is the last point on this guys. Klopp wanted Julian Brandt. He didn't want Salah, but when they were doing the data analytics, obviously Brandt went to Dortmund. They were like, no, you have to have Salah because Salah is going to be the one who's most similar to Brandt. And look at what Salah's done. He's be- become one of the best best players in the Premier League for, since he's joined. And no one wanted a Chelsea reject as such. But that's the point. The recruitment at these clubs. And I think Everton have been bad at this. They've been recruited really badly because they have so much money, but they don't have a plan in place. They've jumped from manager to manager. Marcus Silva is nothing like Ronald Koeman. And now they've got a world-class manager who knows what he's doing. 
and he can pull those first choice targets. James Rodriguez could have gone to any of the other top six clubs. Maybe not have started every single one, but he's got the talent. The fact is that Everton is down to Ancelotti. And the fact that Liverpool are doing so well is because they're trans the way they buy their players. I guarantee Jota, they've looked at the data analytics, and he's probably similar to the way he's left footed, similar to the way Salah plays. I guarantee that. And you will when you look at Ismail Lassar, look, obviously they're both, you know, similar like Senegalese, etc. But are they both Senegalese? Is that right? think so they're from senegal yeah i think so if i get this wrong i'm really sorry guys but i guarantee that they're very similar in the way they play when you look at the data that's provided anyway guys let's move on to leicester quickly before we've got our um last two segments but i'm going to touch on this on two minutes each guys i'm going to ask you do you think that leicester could challenge for the top four again they quietly find themselves with six points from six i think they've played very well i've watched both games they got rid of, well, they sold Chilwell for a lot of money. Castagne's come in and looks fantastic. They're looking like a side who are who know the, the way they want to play, as much like last season, to be honest with you. Um, and they're looking like a side that's passing the ball well. They look like a threat on the attack. Madison's hardly had a kick because he's been injured, so he's to come into the side. Have you been impressed with them, Kieran? And do you think they could challenge for top four? Or is it simply a case like last year where they were fantastic at the beginning? Brendan Rodgers' side is usually, you know, trail off and um and then they're just going to be what top six challengers yeah look i don't think they have a deep enough side to go the whole season this season's it's going to be very difficult because there's pretty much a game or two every single week because of the way the season has worked out because they still want to finish this in may so i i don't think it's going to be one of those that's going to be very easy for them to kind of hold up they also have the Europa League that they're going to have to play in. So it's it's one of those that it depends on what they want to do because they could be a team that if they go out for the Europa League, they're probably good enough to win it. So it's another step for them to go and kind of get into the Champions League that way. Um, they have quality. You see, you see it with the likes of Jamie Vardy, you have Tielemans, you have Castagna who's just kind of come in and he's hit the ground running. They have a good side. I just think if the top four with what we expect them to be, and then you could even add in kind of Tottenham and Arsenal have had Arsenal have had a good start. Tottenham, you've seen how they've kind of improved the squad, and if they can kind of kind of reach the heights of what Mourinho wants them to do, it'll be difficult for Leicester, in my own opinion. I think there's still teams that are better than them. I think they always seem to be ready for a season and you see them kind of get off to a good start. But they, for me, they have too many periods in the season where they go without wins for a good four or five weeks and that's how they can kind of slip off. Last year, it they slipped off late just because there were so many inconsistent teams. If you saw, if you saw United and Chelsea be more consistent throughout the season, I think it wouldn't have been a big thing with Leicester falling off. I think they would have been comfortably in fifth um but again i think i don't i don't think that they're going to be in the top four but they they can definitely challenge for it because their first 11 is playing just as well as any other team in the premier league right now yeah i agree with that completely i don't expect them to be top four but i think they can definitely challenge for that top six look you might see some big clubs dropping out of that top six you never know if, if united don't pull themselves together if chelsea don't click if uh, Spurs as well don't click, even Arsenal could see them outside the top six. Has do you agree with that? I'm going to give you just a, a minute, or, um, or do you think Leicester could challenge? 
Uh, I don't think they can necessarily challenge. I think, like Kieran said, I think their only pathway maybe into Champions League right now would be the Europa League. Um, you know, they have, they bought brilliantly with Castagne. You know, he's got one goal, one assist in the past two games. He's, you know, I think better than Chilwell, in my opinion. You know, he's a like-for-like player. Um, obviously, Jamie Bardi on form consistently. I think once Madison comes back, they will have a lot more creativity in the midfield. Um, I think he was brilliant last season. Look, they, they like Kieran said, you know, with the tight schedule that we have this season, it'll be very tough for them in terms of depth-wise and everything to to really um, be in the position that they were in last season. You know, you've got the match. I think they're going to be playing against Arsenal tomorrow. Um, if they really want to push for the top four, I'd suggest that they put all of their, um, you know, their concentration into either the Premier League or into the Europa League. Forget about these other small... Um, uh, cups like the Carabao and the FA Cup. But I think Brendan Rodgers has done a good job with the squad. They, I think, are going to get under, potentially, um, in the next couple of days. Uh, so they are, they are, you know, strengthening as it is. But if you look at the the clubs when it comes to uh, signings and stuff, if United get their, their act together, if Arsenal can get potentially one or two more signings, I think it'll be tough for them to, to maybe hit the top four, but definitely top six, I think. Yeah, well said. Look, guys, it is... I've just clapped. I don't know why, but uh, it is the winners and losers segment. This is my new favorite segment. I know we've only done one, but this is one where we've changed it up a little bit. So this is not going to be about waffling. This is going to be about, I'm going to give you all a minute each, and you're going to tell me in a minute, one minute for your winner, and you'll have a minute for your loser. And if you go over that two-minute mark, I will mute your mic. So... Kieran, you might struggle at this. You love a good waffle and has. I know, I do. You're more of a pancake man yourself. But um, <laughs> let's go. So I'm going to go first, and we're going to wait till the timer is now on a minute. So my winner this week is no other than Son Hyung Ming, because I just think that when you score four goals in the Premier League, you just can't choose anyone else but him. They were very, very surprising. I think Tottenham when they went one nil down. I was watching the game. They looked very, very poor. I was probably hope you know hoping yeah i was hoping for the worst well when i looked at uh looked at them after the second half they looked much better when ndombele did come off they seemed to play a lot better i know he did a fantastic turn and pass for harry kane and for son to finish but son is one of those players where i'm just toying with the idea of bringing him in or not in my fantasy team we all know his quality but the question is will he get enough chances well they scored five so perhaps tottenham will surprise a few my loser is same game southampton Look, Southampton, you're killing me at the moment. Hassan Hutul, you're killing me. I said that you guys were going to be my dark horses for the season. You guys have been terrible in both games. They've got a lot of quality, but look, I think they need to really sort out their potency up front. I know they've got Ings and Che Adams, but they look pretty blunt. And I think in defence as well, they're looking very open. That midfield is, is struggling. They're a very well-coached side. I think they'll be fine as the season goes on. But for me, they're my loser this week just because I had such high hopes in them. Kieran, you have got two minutes. Go. Okay. My win this week is, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's going to be Calvert-Lewin because, again, scores three goals, steals a goal from one of his other um, teammates. But, again, that's what strikers have to do. Everton needed a striker this year that could kind of circumvent all the creativity that's behind him. And I think he's done an excellent job. You have a lot of people were discussing it would be between him or Richarlison. And 
he's proven that when he's gotten the opportunity, he's put it in the back of the net and Richarlison hasn't. So I think it's going to be kind of between those two to see who's going to be kind of the top scorer for Everton this year because there's enough creativity behind them. Um, for my loser, this one was a difficult one, um, mainly because obviously for me, Man United is probably was the worst at the weekend, so I'd probably say them. But also I think Kepa is another one who I used last week, and I think he was just as bad again. So And Chelsea have just signed their new goalkeeper, so he could be one too. But if I stick with United, it was an embarrassing performance. They didn't look like they were even in the game. They didn't look prepared, and hence the reason they'd be my biggest losers this week. Um, they need to improve that quality very, very quickly. Kieran, I'm um, very, very <laughs> impressed, mate. You had, you had an extra 40 seconds there. Well done. Pass, I'm going to come to you as well. This is quite fun, isn't it? It gets the gets the blood flowing. It wakes you up in the morning. Right, Hass, who are your winners and losers? Go. Okay, so winner, I'd have to say Gabriel Jesus. Uh, I think he was brilliant against uh, Wolves. That last goal that he scored was was insane. I think he's it's been very difficult for him to fill the boots of Aguero, obviously missing because he's such a big part of the Man City team. But I think he's really stepped up to the plate in the last couple of games. In the last Champions League games he played, he was actually very, very good last season. So he is my winner. And I think if they can keep him fit, and I think if they can keep De Bruyne fit, I think they will be a brilliant, brilliant prospect this season. Um, my loser... I'm going to go with Chelsea. I think Chelsea, you expect them with the way that they're there, uh, with the personnel they have in their team, obviously with the preseason that they had, they had actually quite a long time to really uh, come into the Premier League with, you know, a strong, a strong team. I think they've really been underperforming. You look at their, their defense. I think they've still got huge defense frailties. Okay. You know, Ke- Kepper is, is like I said last time, a specialist in failure. He's, he's just proved my word completely there. Um, absolutely shocking. Uh, you know, you look at Kai Havertz, okay, give him time, but he was playing in the false nine position. And I still think he he didn't have a very good game, completely outperformed. It will take time, like I said. And uh, Timo Werner, I think he he just probably didn't get the the right distribution of the ball. I think if, if they really want to utilise his pace, they they will need to have someone like Hakim Zayic come back in uh, to really open up um, spaces within the defence. But yeah, my... Uh, Losers were this week, Chelsea. Not bad, has not bad at all. You had 20 seconds left. So, well done, boys. That's a hard task to do, but I completely agree. Everyone said great points. Um, I think you look at Chelsea, they're definitely one of those that have. Um, definitely a loser of the week. Jacob's crackers wrists. Kepa was not very good. Uh, I think, look, they've got a lot of work to do, but so have United and so have Southampton. Right, boys, we've got five minutes left. We're going to go on to match day predictions. As usual, listeners, we will be predicting three fixtures every week. If you get the correct score, it's one point. If you get the exact score, it's three points. And if you get the first score, uh, first score, first score correctly, that's five points. So I'll go first. And the three games this week are Tottenham, Liverpool. Sorry, Tottenham versus. Newcastle, Liverpool versus Arsenal, and Manchester City versus Leicester. So, boys, we're going to go around quickly. Don't give me any explanation. Just tell me what you're going to do. I'm going for Tottenham to beat Newcastle 3-1 and no other than Holmingson to score the goal. Hass, what are your predictions? Uh, Tottenham 2-0, and I think that Son will score first. Yeah. Kieran? Um, Tottenham 2-1 and 
Harry Kane to score first. Nice. Well, we guys, we uh, pre-prepared these, but it looks like the boys have forgotten what they actually said. <laughs> yeah. If you want me to correct you, I will. But if not, I'll just change it later. But yeah, you boys are spot on there. I think we're oh, going for Spurs. And the boys, it's just so funny to watch your faces. Cass is like, what did I say? Kira's like, oh, no, what did I say? <laughs> okay, boys. So, um, well, look, we've got Arsenal versus Liverpool. I think this is probably the blockbuster game this week. I'm going to go for Liverpool 2-1. I think it'll be tighter than people think. Arsenal have a winning formula or winning formula or formula that works in the big games and obviously it's sitting more deep, being more compact. But I think Liverpool will break them down. They've got so much quality. I'm going for a 2-1 and Mo Salah to score the first goal. Has who have you chosen? Um, it's a 2-1 to Liverpool. I think Arsenal will turn up in this game. I think it'll be a more competitive game than we've had in previous seasons. Uh, and let's hope that we can... You know, I mean, you look at the Community Shield, we actually played very well against Liverpool. If you utilise the right right positions, right place, uh, right time and get Aubameyang on the ball. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be a 2-1 Liverpool and uh, I think Aubameyang will score first. Nice. You remembered your score. And uh, Kieran, are you also going for a Liverpool win? I am. Um, I think this is going to be one of those that you might see a couple of Arsenal fans raging after the game. So I have 4-1 to Liverpool and I have Sadio Mane scoring first. That is bold. I hope to see Haas, Haas crying after the game. <laughs> and the final fixture, guys, Manchester City versus Leicester. I'm going to go for City 3-1 here. I think it'll be a good game. Um, I was thinking 3-2, but 3-1 because I just think City have too much firepower. And KDB will get the first goal for me. Hass, what is your prediction for City versus Leicester? Uh, 3-0 to see. I just think they're a completely different animal. I, I may be shooting myself in the foot because their defence did look weak against uh, Wolves in the second half yesterday. I think him, there's that brilliant goal with that header that he scored. I think they, they could get exposed by Jamie Vardy. But yeah, I think it'll be a 3-0 uh, to City. And I think De Bruyne, the, the best, best midfielder in the world, will, will score first. Yeah, it's a good shout. I quite like the look at Ake yesterday, Kieran. I thought he looked decent. And he was yeah. next to Stones. But I was I was impressed with what I saw. He's, a, he's quite small for a centre-back. I thought he'd play left-back, obviously, if Mendy gets injured. But for me, I think Nathan Ake is going to be a very good signing for for City. It looks like they might not get cooler by. It looks like Koundé could be there. So uh, it'd be very interesting to see what they have. So many options. You look at United, they don't have anything. Um, well, if, if the players can keep fit, they might do. But um, yeah, give me your prediction for City versus Leicester. Okay, I'm pretty sure I have this right. I think I went with 3-1 to uh, Man City, and my goal scorer is Raheem Sterling. Great, fantastic memory. Thank, thank you very much, guys, for your predictions. It's good to know that you can remember something that was you said an hour ago, so that is good. Obviously, as Kieran's approaching 30, and according to Paulie, if you hit 30, you're in decline. So that's yeah. an area which Kieran is obviously doing better than his other age counterparts. Thank you very much to all you listeners for listening. Make sure you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Keep an eye out for our very, very exciting news that we're going to be probably announcing tomorrow, I think, if Hass can get his his stuff done on that. It's very, very exciting. There's some massive plans for this podcast, for this show. We've got some fantastic people involved. Kieran, thank you very much, mate, for coming on today. Thank you. Uh, Hass, as usual, the producer, the videographer, the man behind all this amazing sort of tech. Hass, thank you for joining me again today, mate. That's all right. And uh, be prepared, people. Tomorrow is a big day. We've got a lot of good news coming out for the next couple of weeks. So, Honestly, the support would be brilliant. And thank you for the support anyway we've been getting in the last couple of weeks. Really appreciate it. 
absolutely like i said it's very very exciting make sure you hit the subscribe button we're also on spotify we're on anchor we're on apple pods so that's the premier league trio that might change so uh make sure you keep an eye out and we will see